following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Good morning, everyone. Today we'll be reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 14. I'll give everyone a second to turn there. All right, chapter 4. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as, in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For we know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable and impassionate and not in passionate lust like the pagans, who do not know God. And that is this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make in your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Oh, two more verses. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. May God bless the reading of his word. Uh, let, me, let me just start by saying this. Um, Paul loves this church. Um, not the gallery church, but the first Thessalonian, the, the, the church in Thessalonica, if you, if you could just let Laura's words come across to you as a, just this, like, I, I love you, I want to be with you, I'm, I've been torn apart from you, and now I want to be fully in your presence, but while I'm away, I need to talk to you. He writes them this passionate letter. And so in order to try to have one of the shortest teachings I've had in the last 100, since our children are with us this month, um, I, I'm going to try to be as precise as I can as we go through a chapter that we probably should spend about two months on just this one content. But I, I feel like there's a lot in here that we can proceed with today. My name is Ellis. I know we have a lot of guests in the room. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to have the opportunity to teach um, to us today. We are going through First Thessalonians fairly quickly. I'm, I'm not super excited how this series is playing out, to be honest with you. I'm like, oh, I want to spend more time on this. Oh, I want to spend more time on that. And so let me review. In the first chapter, Paul looks at these people and says, you are not following Jesus by accident. I think that was foundational. Like you and I today in this room aren't here by accident. God has a plan. He wants us to live it out. He wants us to be executing it and moving forward in it. And then part of Paul's encouragement to them is that I am praying for you. Like he is communicating to them over and over and over again, saying, my prayers are with you. My prayers are for you. These are my prayers of thanksgiving. These are my prayers of encouragement towards you, but I'm praying for you. And the people were so encouraged by coming to know Jesus 
by the prayers of Paul, by the teachings of Paul, that they started a ripple effect all throughout the region of people saying, do you know about these people? They're living differently. They're following the Lord Jesus Christ and not the Lord in our civilization. And there, they, there was just this massive recognition about people talking about their faith. And then Paul says to them something that's very important, even for today. He says, people would rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. That's a very short synopsis of the end of chapter 1 into chapter 2 of him saying to them, look, you have to think right. You have to know truth, but you also have to know how to live it out because who cares if your words say this, but your actions say something totally different. And then as he continues to move through that, he goes on to say to them, there is a specific work that you need to do. Some of you are going to have this public work. Others, you're going to have a very private work, but it doesn't matter whether it's an incredibly famous, popular character or a simple character in the story, you and I have a faith work to do. And then at the very end of chapter 3, last, last time we got together two weeks ago, he talked about a prayer that he had for them. And I think it's an incredibly good modeled prayer for us that we're to be focused on God, that we need to be eagerly looking towards God's future, not our future, but what is God's eternal future for us? And then we need to be praying for God's spirit to be working in the present. What would that look like for us? Let me just start with asking a question. How many of us would like to make a difference in the world? Would you just raise your hand? Anyone? Like you would not like to just exist, but you really want to make a difference. How many of you would love to do what God wants for you to do every day? You would love to just know, I am doing what God wants me to do every day. Can I just tell you guys, this is what I feel like Paul is getting at to this early church. He is saying to them, if we let God complete the work in us, you and I can be 100% spirit-led. That means no matter what circumstances we come up against, whether little or large, whether it's like today where there's brothers and sisters in our Patterson church that are in fear of the collection of people today. That no matter what people are facing, you and I can know that God is with us, he is for us, he's got plans for us. And, you, and what we can understand through this particular passage of scripture is that God wants to do something special. His spirit can guide us no matter what type of affliction or adversity comes our way. And I can only imagine what could happen in us, just the people in this room, if we let the Holy Spirit have 100% control of our life. So Paul, in this passage, has, comes to finally saying to them, look, these last couple of chapters, he doesn't say this, this is my sum, summation of it. He's like, I have given you this long introduction because now I want to have trust, a trusted conversation with you. He's saying, I'm reminding you of all the ways that we were together. I'm reminding you of how we were viciously pulled apart. And I'm reminding you now how much I love you and long to be with you because I want to continue to teach you what you need to know so that you can be fully like Christ, fully empowered by the Holy Spirit to live. And now we get to the hard part of some of the things that he was saying to them. And I want to come back to the end of verse 1. He said this, and I love the way it came out when Laura said it. It says, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to do this more and more. Here's the point of why we get together every week, is we're not finished yet. We, no matter how good we might be in this room, or how nice life might feel, or what we've accomplished, 
God is not done with us yet, and there is a more and a more and a more of the Holy Spirit in us, more and more of the image of Christ that can come out of us, and Paul is saying to them, I want you to be heading that way. And so this chapter is really about holy living, and there's three made subject matters for this. And I've, and I've made the first one a little bit coded because we do have children in the room. And so the, it's, since they're in the room, there's a three-letter word for physical reproduction activity, all right? And I'm guessing that that has communicated to most of you. And some of the parents are going to be like, great, now I don't have to tell my kids what the pastor said during church, all right? So there is a, there's a huge section of this chapter that talks about what we do with each other, with our bodies. And then he goes on and talks about money and he talks about grief, which I think is really interesting that he's paired these three things. But much like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so many things are paired in threes in Scripture. Um, let, me, let me do this. This past week I had a chance to go. My wife's little brother, Tim, my brother-in-law, um, is a marketing uh, executive in a company in Richmond. We had a chance to go watch him give a short presentation on websites, which I thought my sermons were boring. Um, but... I felt really good leaving, um, no. but no, it was a, fa a fascinating presentation, and he said this about websites. He's talked about the simplicity of how people that are in that industry many times get away from the basics because they're trying to stay up with cutting-edge stuff, so the websites get so busy that people go there for content. Like, could there not be a more boring website than Wikipedia? But yet, there's content there that everybody keeps going back to. Google's a boring website, but people keep going back to it, and so... One of the things, and I want to put it on a slide for you, is this. Like, when people start thinking about you and I, there's three things that keep coming back in our faith, and it's faith, hope, and love. So there's three aspects of faith that are foundational, faith, hope, and love. Much like what my brother-in-law said about websites, is that we struggle with eating right, exercise, and getting good sleep. So there's three foundational things. That no matter what doctor you go to, whether it's a wholeness doctor or a regular doctor, family doctor, could be orthopedic surgeon, doesn't matter. You go to somebody or you Google health, they are going to be trying to tell you something about eating right, exercising, and getting enough sleep. Can you guys agree with me on that? So th now whether you're on a keto diet or whether you're on an all-fats diet or a protein or on kale or whatever it is that you are choosing... You are trying to fulfill number one. The second is whether you take a walk at lunch or you are joining CrossFit or whatever it is you're trying to compete first. Exercise is important. And just watching people exercise does not count, right? And running late is not an exercise, all right? And so the other part is, is getting enough sleep. And some of you are like, yeah, it would be fantastic if I could sleep. You have so much stress and pressure in our life. And so much of this is about three basic things, e eating right, exercising, and getting sleep. And so Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, is saying, look, it is as simple as faith, hope, and love. He's saying it's simple. There's nothing complicated about it. The problem is, is that we get away from the basics. We get lost in the mysteries. We get lost in the complexities, and we start to step away from that. And then there's also this tone in Paul where he's talking about the different idolatry of the day, and I think it's really important for us to call them out. There's three of them in particular that he deals with over and over again in his letters, Aphrodite, Mammon, and Mars. Three. Aphrodite, obviously a god of the reproductive activity that we are mentioning. Um, and then Mammon, the god of money, and then Mars, the god of war. And so when you look at 
Paul in his writings to this early church. He's saying, I want to keep it simple, like faith, hope, and love. But I want to remind you guys that the world and the culture around you is drawing you in to that physical reproductive activity, what honors God with my life. He's saying, what you do with your money, what honors God with my life. But then he switches it up here at the very end because people were dying because of war. People were dying because of religious war and persecution in the first century. People were dying because of, of, of decisions that a Caesar would make. And so many people were losing life because of that. He says to them, I want you to be comforted because there is hope for those that are no longer with us. And so let me go back here just to start with the first point for the word that we're not speaking of today. That you guys all are aware of, right? Have any of you guys ever been to Assateague State Park? Any of you? Some of you raise your hand. Assateague State Park, Southern Maryland. What, is, what are they known for? For their wild ponies, their wild horses on the beach. Here's the image that Paul is saying here, and I'm going to keep it as simple as this. Wild horses. In the context of the conversation we're talking about, do you guys see my air quotes on the podcast? <laughs> like, there's a three-letter word here that, is, is that the best way for him to say is that you tame that sucker. Wild Assateague Island horses. Could you imagine the work it would take to go down to the island and legally take a horse home with you so that a three-year-old could go up and touch it on the nose? I don't know much about animals, but I've been around horses enough that even those that have been tamed, I don't care for. I was thrown off of a horse that used to be a mounted horse for the D.C. police. It was used to being around crowds. It was a massive horse. It was old. It was retired. It was sent to the retired horse farm. And I get on its back, and it says, nope, and it threw me right off. I've not been on a horse since. I don't believe but I'm sitting here thinking about yours and I's physical activity in our life and what the culture around us is constantly doing and the images and the commercial advertisements and everything that's happening, it is not unique to our culture. We are not the first culture to be living under this amount of pressure. And I, I love what Paul is saying to this early church. He's saying to them, it has to be tamed. That's going to set us apart. Like there's a call to holiness here. There's a call to a sense of being separate from the world. And if you and I are following Christ, you and I will be challenged to follow Christ in that aspect of our life. But it will be and it will feel like you're taming a wild horse. And then he goes on and listing some things that I think is just really wise, period. Like don't take your friend's wife. Like he says some very simple things that I don't want us to get away from because what ends up happening is that you and I lose out on the simplicity sometimes and then we make the simple mistakes. And so we've got to understand that there's some true wisdom here. Let me move on to money. I, my, my daughter actually came up with a phrase that I really love and I want to give her credit for it, but there's a phrase that she calls it living given is the actual term. But it talks about a self-giving love. I'm, I find it very interesting that that's where Paul brings in the money piece. He's like, I want you to selflessly love people, and he attaches it to our financial resources. I love how in this particular um, passage, he's saying to them that you're the indicator of your spiritual health and the indicator of the integrity of your faith is what you do with your financial resources. 
And not just what you do with your financial resources as an individual, but you as a church, he's saying to the Thessalonican church, you as a church, how are the people amongst you? Are there people in need? Because if there, are, there is a need, then we're not following Jesus. And he's saying to them, you need to excel in the generosity. You need to be willing to make sure that the people's needs around you are met. And I believe that we as a church in the last few months have tasted that. There's, there's, there's like 10 extra kids going to the RVR camp that's going to be out in front of Stewart Hill Elementary School this coming week or the next week. That because of your generosity, we're able to help kids go to that. We've been able to help families in our church with everything from car repairs to rent to food. Because you have been generous. And I promise you, the more that we taste of that, and the more that it's a reality in our lives personally, the, the excitement level in our church is going to go up and up and up, and we're going to experience joy when we're around each other like we haven't even tasted yet. And it's all going to be how we handle our self-giving love. And then obviously, at the end of this chapter, he talks to them about grief. And could you not feel more loved by what Paul is saying here? I'm almost grateful that Laura paused and thought that it was over to come back to it because it did set it apart. Because there's not a person in this room that's not grieving something. And, and our Father in heaven, through Jesus and through the apostles and through the writings, has been passing on encouragement to us because God still doesn't want us to live in fear. God still wants to be a God of comfort to us. And the world is telling us things that aren't true. And so when, in particular, the early church was losing people through sickness, through persecution, through war, all these different things at a level that many of us can't even fathom. Some of you can experience that because of countries where you've come from and the things that you've experienced. And Paul's encouragement to them is this, is our Lord Jesus Christ has the people that we love. And he's like, and not only does he have them, he's going to bring them back with him and resurrect them from the dead, and we're all going to get a new body at the same time. Now, there's, been st there's so much in this teaching at the end that I can't get into based upon movies and films and different depictions of what this all looks like because it's almost like as if Paul has been given the task to tell somebody that has never seen in color what blue is. What would you do? How could you take somebody that has never seen anything in color and define the color blue or define hot pink or whatever other random colors that people are now introducing into our culture today? How do you tell somebody and describe for them something that they can't even begin to picture in their head? And Paul is saying to them, let me just tell you about something that I know you can't picture in your head, but like, a, like the emperor of Rome when he comes back from a conquest, a conquest, we are going to find ourselves running to him and, and coming back with him. We're going to be almost like caught up with him in the air is what he describes it. And there's so much of this passage that is designed to bring you hope because no matter how hard life is, no matter what people you've lost, there's going to be a sweet reunion in perfection someday. Like when you get the person back, they're going to be a better version of themselves. There's going to be, when they meet you, they're going to be like, oh, wow, God did complete a work in you. Right? It's not just going to be a one-way thing. They're going to see you, and they're going to greet you with the perfection of the love of Jesus Christ. And, and that is our hope. Yes, we experience pain and grief now, but there's an incredible amount of comfort coming that is going to be in our Lord Jesus Christ's return. And so he has a lot to say to them because no matter what cultural generation anybody has ever lived in, there has been a physical activity with my body temptation. Every generation has dealt with it. Every generation has had to 
experience what it is like to be a self-giving, loving person with our lives and our resources. And every generation has been dealing with grief and the loss of people. And Paul is saying to them in this chapter, holiness and comfort. Holiness is, is what, it, what would Christ do with this body? What would Christ do with the things that God's given me? How do I lay that out for others? And then to realize that we have the loving comfort of God around us. And now do you understand why in verse 1 he said, now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to do this more and more and more and more and more. Because that is what we do until Jesus returns or we join the dead. We have a mission to continue to keep moving forward. And God gives us great hope and comfort in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for this letter to the Thessalonians. Father, we want to have victory in our lives in regards to purity temptations. We want to be, we want to honor you with our bodies. We want to continue to grow more and more and more into the loving image of Jesus Christ towards all of our uh, male and female brothers and sisters and friends and family. Father, we also want to be self-giving people. We want to live given. We want, Lord, to honor you with what you've given us. So, Father, help us to see what selfless life looks like. And, Father, we thank you that you've given us comfort. And we have the hope of an eternal perspective that Christ is coming back and there's a resurrection for us. And Lord, I can't wait for us to grow more fully in what it means for us to live in the hope of new life and new resurrection. Father, I pray that you would help us to learn that more fully as we teach this year. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time together this morning. And Lord, we just ask that your spirit would take over us completely. We don't want to have one foot in, one foot out. Lord, we want to be all in for the Spirit to empower us completely. And would you do that work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.